0: first Peter chapter 3 now Heavenly Father as we settle down and quiet our hearts we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit who is present here with us to help us understand your word to understand it to put it into practice so that we could have the kind of life Jesus promised rich and full and overflowing with abundance in Jesus' name, amen. Caught a bit of the biggest loser this week. The, the contestants were involved in quite a physical challenge that actually reminded me of our spiritual challenge this morning, given our particular text for consideration. The contestants had to maneuver their way through an elaborate maze of strings, something like this. This isn't from The Biggest Loser, obviously. (laughs) I was quite amazed, thank you for that. The contestants had to hold two glasses filled with liquid they couldn't afford to spill. The liquid was filled to the brim of those glasses. And so obviously a great deal of care and balance would be needed in order to get the reward to maneuver safely and with agility and not get tripped up in that complicated, intricately woven obstacle course. Well, some scriptures present a challenge a little bit like that. Thankfully, the majority of the gospel and the scriptures are pretty straightforward. They're very easy to understand. Even children receive Christ at four or five years old. They get it, it's pretty easy. God good, devil bad, sin wrong, trust Jesus, go to heaven. How many of you received Christ as uh, a young child? Raise your hand. You did that because you understood the gospel, and it made sense to you even though you were a child. Now, uh, you know, it's not always like that. on occasion, like here in Chapter 3, thanks to really... Uh, the climate of this contemporary God-rejecting world in which we live. And because of cultural and societal norms, which have changed vastly in 2,000 years from when Peter was writing, because of that, certain exhortations in the Bible sound very strange to our ears and more difficult to receive. Certain words are tied with great emotions and carry a great emotional weight at the mention of the name of the word, making the text a little bit like a complicated obstacle course. The truths in the word of God are timeless. Understanding the cultural uh, setting and the spiritual application will take a great deal of care and balance as we kind of maneuver our way through these complicated truths about the roles of men and the roles of women, especially in that of marriage. And so our goal here is to get through with accuracy and agility and tact and diplomacy, so that we can be rewarded and equipped and not to be discouraged and tripped, all right? So let me show you what we're talking about as I introduce to you the text for consideration, your and my obstacle course set before us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. What I tell you? <laughs> it's one of those texts that <laughs> pastors like to talk about at conferences. Or the first thing that Jacob Beckman said to me when he asked me what book we were going into next, I said, First Peter. And the first words out of his mouth was, hmm, wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) And then he did a kind of evil chuckle afterwards. (laughs) Pastor Josh opened uh, my office door early this morning. He said, what's on uh, the platter for today? And I said, wives, submit to your husbands. He goes. Oh, have fun. (laughs) Oh, have fun. Well, Peter is beginning his letter explaining the glorious truths about who God is. He's this refuge for you. He's the rock of your salvation. And all these awe-inspiring wonders about who we are in Christ that the Lord saw us in eternity past and and set his love upon us, choosing us that we might come to know him, giving us a living hope that he is alive with us, and uh, making us born again, giving us an incorruptible life by the power of the Holy Spirit, who he puts in the hearts of those who trust Jesus, that we are blessed to be a blessing. And now he's moving from the wonder of who God is and the blessing of who we are in Christ to our role in this world, in society. And it's a role, really, that even though we have a lot of Christian freedom, Peter's been saying in context to this verse, even though we have such freedom in Christ and now we march to a beat of a different drummer, totally, than the rest of the world, we go by the book, the Biblos in Greek, the Bible. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is prompting us, and we live to honor God. We do things differently, but we still respect the God-given authority structures in this world. We may have checked out of the world as far as compromising in moral sins, and immoral sins, I should say, but we respect the authority structures in the world that govern society, that govern the workplace. He's talked about slaves and masters and about how we are to uh, honor the king and pay our taxes and be model citizens. And so this authority structure and order that God has put here on Earth is not only in this world, in our communities, not only in the workplace, which he's just talked to us about, but it also filters into the home. And so that is where chapter three brings us now that God expects us to honor his order the way he created things in the home as well. And so that is the flow of order. So really, it's pretty simple this morning. Let's consider uh, God's plan for husbands and wives so that we can have happy homes. And as Warren Wiersbe calls it, happy wedlock and not frustrating deadlock. I thought, feel free not to laugh, because it's his joke. (laughs) When it's mine, you have a moral obligation. All right, all right. So two, two points. The Lord's expectation for believing wives and the Lord's expectation for believing husbands. So number one what the Lord expects from believing wives, especially or even with unbelieving husbands. Here's the paraphrase that I've come up with, wives. In the same way that we must yield to those God gave responsibilities to in society, you must yield to your own husbands. If he's not a believer, here's how to win him over. Give him the honor of letting him lead live with purity, and show him respect. This will bring him to the Lord much faster than just preaching at him." And so let's consider this right away. Uh, Christ was coming into the hearts of many in the Roman Empire, first century, and some of those hearts were married. Now what? What happens when uh, suddenly a woman hears the gospel Repents and trusts in Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes in, and now she's raised to this new life. She hears the truth, and she hears directives and commands, and this is now Jesus needs to lead you because he's your Lord. Oh, but how does that work if I'm married to a husband? And even when he does not know the Lord or receive the scriptures or acknowledge there's even a God in the first place, how do I serve God and be true to to my faith in Christ when I'm in a relationship with a man who does not believe. And Peter says we're going to address that. And he focuses now to wives, a call to a willing cooperation to come under her spouse, her husband. The Greek word, hypostasos, means to fall into order. It's a military word. And it's in middle voice, what they call middle voice. And what it means is to subject oneself willingly under. It is not something that is commanded and forced. It is in the voice of, wives, subject yourselves. Willingly take the position that God has given you and the role. Embrace that willingly, voluntarily not forced uh, at all. And so because women have been subjected to degrading explanations of this verse and abusive applications of this text, it's important to say right off the jump what biblical submission is not. So number one, biblical submission does not mean the woman is expected to violate her conscience or sin against God or put herself in harm's way, period. We talked about that last week a little bit. It doesn't mean that if he's unfaithful, abusive, or an addict that you, dear wife, are left with no biblical recourse. Biblical submission does not mean to tolerate daily cruelty at all costs. So number one, first thing, I apologize. I apologize for unschooled, unprofessional pastors and teachers who have taken this verse and caused more harm than good. There are many women who were counseled by the office of a pastor to remain in domestic violence because of this verse, when in fact, One who commits domestic violence, who beats his wife, has dissolved the vow with the first blow. The vows are done. And she's free to get herself out of harm's way. That is a ridiculous and abusive manipulation and perversion of this text. God gave us common sense, too, along with the scriptures. I need an amen so bad right there. I'm not going to ask you for it, but that's okay. All right, next time, just let it come naturally. All right, number two, biblical, so it's not a doormat. Number two, submission is not just about a wife. It's about life. It's all of us, every day, every place, every moment of the day. We... Men, included, know what it is like to have to tasso all day long. We have bosses. We have managers. We have supervisors. And we must hoopo-tasso. We come under. Doesn't matter if it's a woman. We come under. We've had parents. We have tassoed. if we're pulled over by a policewoman. We Hoopo Tasso, or we get Hoopo arrested. (laughs) When we're in the post office, (laughs) when we're in the bank, when we're in the grocery store, when you're in Starbucks, when you're in Ross Dress for Lesson, you come out of the dressing room with a bunch of clothes that you just tried on, but you didn't put back on the hangers. And the clerk tells you, oh, you need to put all of these pants back on the hangers. And I look at her like, are you kidding me? That is what you do. And then I have to remember, oh, yeah, this text. I, she has authority. I hupotasso. I come under. She has the right to tell me that. When you're in the post office, it says, shut off your cell phones. And she'll say to you, you're in line, sir. Shut off the cell phone. You tasso. We tasso everywhere, every layer of life. And what, what the critics of the Bible and liberal people and, and, and people who are anti-God and anti-scriptures love to do is just point this little look at this is the only place that you have to hubo tasso. you poor ladies. Life doesn't work without hubo tasso. The only place you are free from having to come under in hubo tasso is hell. That is the only place that you are free from having to submit and... I might say, hell is the culmination of a life that said, no, I will not come under. And the Lord says at the end, thy will be done. Now you don't need to come under. You can reign in hell rather than serve in heaven. And so I like to point that out. All day long, wherever we go, we all, that's the way God makes it. The world doesn't understand that. So it's not a doormat. It's not just the wife's calling. but And submission, biblical submission, is not about inferiority. Exhibit A, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Please know that Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God himself. He is equal to God. He is God. He was with God in the beginning, and he is equal to God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then you just arrow down to verse 14, and it says, And the Word, which he just told you, is God, became flesh, became a human being. God came through a virgin womb, no help of Joseph, and became a living, breathing human being, the God-man. And what did he do? He hoop tassoed every day of his life. He said, I don't do anything. I don't have my own life. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. These words of mine, I had John 8 playing uh, last night. I just didn't want to watch television. I just wanted to hear the word, and I had the word on. chapter after chapter after chapter in John, and all you hear Jesus saying is, hey, these aren't my words. These are his words. These aren't my deeds. They're his deeds. These aren't his, my miracles, they're his miracles. Oh, you're going to the feast. Why aren't you going to the feast? Well, I'm not going to the feast because he hasn't told me to go to the feast yet. The Son of God, God incarnate, who botassos, not only to the Father, but to governing authorities, he pays his taxes. They come and say, hey, Peter, doesn't big boy pay his taxes, Mr. Rabbi? And Peter goes, oh, yeah, I oh, oh. <laughs> So he comes in, and he says, Jesus, they're asking what to do <laughs> about taxes. Uh, and I told him, and he says, you go, and you pay. Give him this. Go and throw your, your hook in, you're going to find a fish, you're going to find a coin in the fish's mouth. I mean, he, he does it creatively. Why? Because he's the son of God. And he, <laughs> and he says, go fishing, catch the fish, you'll find enough money in the fish's mouth to pay him. Give that to him for my taxes, even though I'm exempt. We will pay out of good conscience. He hoopoe so anybody who's called to come under, it is not that you are inferior. How far did Jesus go in this? All the way to dirty feet and saying, hey, oh, apparently the, the, the servant is taking a nap somewhere and feet need to be washed and none of you boys want to do it. So he takes an apron, the son of God, God incarnate, who spoke the world into being Says, allow me to tasso and grovel all around at your dirty feet and wash them. Now, if God can come under and not be inferior, but rather in his coming under, he's exalted, he's more dignified, he's more glorified because he knows he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I just quoted to you Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And so Jesus' willingness to obey the Father and come under the authority of others is function and service. It doesn't diminish his worth, importance, or dignity. And neither, dear wife, does it diminish yours. And finally, what it is not, biblical submission does not mean there is no give and take in the relationship. This is where husbands really blow it. You have ultimate responsibility and an accountability to God. Ultimately, within that framework is a living, breathing person who has a life. She has insights and desires and dreams and goals. Yes, in the framework, you are ultimately responsible, but in that relationship, she is speaking into the marriage. She is showing you things you can't see or know without her help. There is a mutual hubotaso, spoken of in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, out of the reverence for Christ, you are to submit to one another. Submit to one another. A great quote here, a healthy marriage includes a mutual yielding to one another. She may choose the decor, and he's happy. He may yield to her preferences. He goes to the movies she prefers, the restaurant she picks. They They accommodate their schedule with her interests in mind. They decide together on big decisions. If she has a gut-wrenching no, he respects that. Sometimes she's the one who has it right, and he needs to yield. Like Sarah, the Lord instructs the husband to listen to everything she's saying. So though the ultimate responsibility falls on his shoulders, marriage is a relationship of mutual give and take, or it's not a marriage at all. Please, husbands, do not make it harder for your dear wife to voluntarily do what the Lord wants her to do by writing her off because she's called to submit to you. God tells Abraham, who's saying, I have a really hard time with Hagar and Ishmael. I really like them a lot. I made a baby with her. My wife wanted me to because of the customs here. She couldn't, and so I did, and now I love this kid. And the Lord is saying, that's not going to happen. I'm going to give you a kid through your barren wife." Sarah, he couldn't see it. So she says, honey, uh, it's going to be through me, not her or the boy. And he said, I can't see it. And God says to him, the matter distressed, I'll read the whole context, Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, here's a quote from God, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac. Abraham, through Isaac, like I told you about 14 chapters. I've told you this. But your wife gets it. Listen to your wife. Listen to what it says. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Hmm. There are times, guys, you know, she's called a help. Meet in the. King James, the word is a helper. And please don't think of it in creation as a less dignified word, because in the Psalms, the word for God, the Lord is my helper, same exact word, the rescuer, the deliverer. And every husband knows that that is one sweet job description for a wife, to rescue us from making mistakes from things that we can't see or know. Listen to whatever she says about this area that you're blind in, and you'll be blessed. So there's give and take. Mutual submitting in the overall structure of final authority. The buck stops somewhere. you can't have two captains. On the ship, it just won't work. So he says, ultimately, when we stand before God, I'll be saying, about the marriage, Ross. Not Barbara. Not about the marriage. About the marriage, the health of the marriage and the family home, Ross, I'd like to speak to you. See, that, my friend, is where delegated authority comes from, from him to serve in love. To be accountable for good, not to be served. Don't you understand? First Peter chapter 3 verse 1. That's so dumb. Don't do that. You're yeah, sorry. Nobody's. Amen. (laughs) All right. Can I brag about PJ? My son PJ is 19 now, but when he was maybe 16 or 17, he took first prize at Nordquist for a dance swing competition, and uh, he was king, and they were king and queen. It was really fun. I mean, hundreds of people there, they're out on the dance floor, and he gets crowned king. He, he, I thought he was moving bodies parts too much for a Christian, <laughs> personally. <laughs> And I've always told him that, but uh, I'm proud of him nonetheless. And I said, now, how does that work? You you rehearse in that swing dance. Look, so we didn't rehearse. We threw it together at the last second. How do you remember all that? How does she know what to do? She follows me. She just follows me. Well, she can improvise and kind of pretty it up, but she, with timing, and maneuver she's taking all her cues from me i am calling all of the shots she is following and it makes such a beautiful dance when each person knows their part there's even room for a little improvising on both ends but the husband ultimately according to the lord has to be the one leading it's going to be hard going to be hard Genesis chapter three, there's a great fall. Your mother fell, ladies, and so did our father. And the Lord turned to her in the aftermath, the steam is still from the train wreck is still going. And he says to her, you're gonna have a lot of sorrow now in giving birth. It's gonna increase, I'm sorry. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule you. The word desire there means to master. It's the same word in Genesis 4, where he says to Cain, sin desires to master you. Same word, to desire. Intrinsic in our sinful natures, and we have our own problems, dear ladies, is in your DNA, spiritually speaking, fallen. Eve stepped out in front of Adam, and there was a collision. And God says, your progeny will have the tendency, inherent in their own nature, to step out in front of him like you just did. You're going to pass that on to your daughters. The power of the Holy Spirit will subdue not only our tendencies, which are, I think, a lot worse than women's proclivities, but um, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the renewal of our minds in the word of God, you will fight against that so that the two of you aren't doing an ugly dance, but you are doing something beautiful. So continuing on, the Christian wife must come under the leadership, even if he's unbelieving and the way to win him over and touch his heart is not, necessar- not necessarily through his ears. Okay, So if you want to get through to your man, Peter says, his ears are not necessarily the best avenue. And all the ladies said, yeah. <laughs> the word here in the Greek is k- kirdino, to win him. It means to acquire by investment. So Peter's saying, ladies, here's how to impact your husband. Here's how to invest in the marriage so that you can see some results. And why why did he say you don't need to preach at your husband? Well, listen, the gospel is corrective by nature. The gospel is saying, you can't do this. (laughs) You're not good enough. You're going about this all wrong. That's what the gospel's saying. So coming from the wife to the husband, all the unbelieving husband is going to hear is what the gospel is saying. You can't do this. You're not adequate. You're a loser without God. You're going to hell. You need the grace of God. You're inadequate. That's the wrong place for a wife to be saying, that those kinds of things to the husband. That's really primarily, it doesn't mean you can't share scriptures here and there or share your heart. It means no condescending, nagging, preaching, and that is not the way to win him. So coming to Christ means really now letting Christ lead her through coming under an unbelieving Man and respecting him and honoring him as such. She can't be saying, oh, honey, now we need to go to church. And now we can't pay tribute to the emperor. And now we've got to give to my little home fellowship group. And hey, this is what my pastor says. This is how we've got to live now. And he's saying, who's your pastor? What well, he's telling you what to do now. Yes, I go to him for all my spiritual needs. Oh, really? That's what you tell an unbelieving man? That is not the way to win his heart. This is that you need the counsel of some other guy. So Peter is saying, win him by coming under him respectfully and with a, with a gentle heart toward him. Let him see the transformation that Christ makes in your own heart, your profound love, compassion for others, your gentleness, your quiet reverence. Love him and let him feel your admiration and that you need him. Speak well of him and show him respect. And the walls of Jericho will come tumbling down. Now let's move on. Peter's going to arm her with more uh, strategy to win him. Here's the paraphrase of three and through six. No need to emphasize or overemphasize your outward appearance at the expense of inner beauty, ladies. Being beautiful is more than fancy hairdos and expensive bling bling. It's in the Greek. It's really hard to see or the latest fashions. It's really about a beauty that emanates from within, a gentle heart, a quiet, nurturing spirit. That's what God gets excited about. The heroines of the Bible were like that. Their devotion to God was radiant. That's how they made themselves beautiful, loving God, and showing respect to their husbands, like Sarah, who served her husband with all her heart, You're her spiritual daughters when you follow in her footsteps and not let fear cause you to take matters in your own hands. So interestingly, as I was reading, the Roman Empire was much like our culture today, very obsessive with youth and beauty and bling-bling and sensuality and all of that. So 1 Peter is saying what he's not saying. He does not say, nor does it say anywhere in the Bible, that we should not take care of ourselves or our appearances. uh, There's no problem with looking nice, wearing nice clothes, having jewelry, or maximizing your cutability. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with that. The Spirit is speaking against overemphasis of the outward at the expense of the inward, something that we all have a struggle with. Now, if Amelia Bedelia was reading this, (laughs) Amelia Bedelia's storybook character that we read to our kids, the problem was she took everything in a wooden way. She quite literally everything anything she heard. Like, oh, Amelia, would you make a sponge cake, dear? And she would make sponges from the kitchen and make it into a cake. Now, if Amelia read this passage, she would come out of the house the next day with her hair unkempt and disheveled, not a stitch of makeup on, shabby clothes, and completely looking like she just crawled out of bed. Because really, if you just press that, but that's not what it's saying at all. What it's saying is charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now, the Bible's not squeamish about taking care of yourself or looking good or being attractive. I mean, Joseph is is referred to as what? Well-built and handsome. Sarah was gorgeous. And if you're going to be gorgeous, you take care of yourself. Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. I'm quoting. Rebecca was beautiful, nose ring and many bracelets. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Esther was lovely in form and features with all her beauty treatments. Hmm. And do I even need to get started with the Song of Solomon? All right. (laughs) That is rated PG-13 or higher. All right. That woman is dressed and ready and prepared for what? A honeymoon. And if you don't think there were braids in that hairdo and gold everywhere, oh, come on, please. She was, she looked good. That's not the problem. He's saying, ladies, don't buy the lie that it's all about outward. It's about this beauty that that never fades and that that grows and grows with time. We've been married 25 years, and we don't look like we used to look. We look better, (laughs) quite frankly, honestly. (laughs) You should have seen my hairdo. This is way better than what I was doing. A mullet? Please. I'd rather shave my head. But I saw Barb the other day. She had a couple kids on her knees at our house. And I was watching her across the room. And I thought, her gentle, caring, still her reserved nature, her refined elegance her classiness that ha- sorry okay <laughs> her classiness that has grown and i've seen her go from her early 20s now and we're in our 50s now it is i was sitting there gazing more in love and more in awe looking at her grow in the grace that is unfading it transcends the outward. And the Bible is true. It is attractive. It is attractive. Who needs hair, please? <laughs> you poor ladies. There are aisles and aisles and aisles. How do you get through the grocery store? Hair product for this, hair product for that, hair product for this. I just go through and go, whatever. <laughs> All right. The inner beauty, a dignified, gentle, calm, a respect that brings power to impact others, soften hearts, and win a husband to the Lord. Let's look at the Lord's expectation for the husband. You'll notice that there are six verses for the woman and one verse for the husband. (laughs) Now, you're already laughing because you already know. The Lord's like, why confuse the guy? (laughs) Why why confuse him with words? Just give him a sentence. And I said that to a guy, and he said he thought I was joking, but I, I, he goes, yeah, absolutely. He goes, that's why. He thinks that's the reason. because he says, I just need to be told what to do, and I can do it, but don't lose me in a lot of words. <laughs> the true reason here is that in the Roman Empire, women were coming to Christ more than men at quicker rates, and they were married to unbelievers. And so Peter's saying, look, ladies, here's how to do it. Husbands, in the same regard, this is a paraphrase, live with your wife with great sensitivity, understanding, consideration is that word, treating them with gentle respect, remembering she's physically more vulnerable than you are, so no strong-arming her. She's your equal partner, co-heir with you of God's gift of eternal life. Anything less will negatively affect your relationship with God and hinder your prayers." Huh. All right. So when the husband was the first saved, it was less complicated because the wife just followed suit. It would be nice if it was from the heart, but it was less complicated because she went where he went in that time. She worshiped the gods he worshiped. And so it was less complicated. That is why you have six verses for the woman here, because she's married to a non-Christian man and trying to follow him and him at the same time. So here for the husbands, a call for consideration Uh, The King James says to live with her in knowledge, which is the direct translation. Uh, The Greek word is gnosis, to gain knowledge. So the NIV has consideration, meaning born out of an understanding of who your wife is, you are to then accommodate with sensitivity. In other words, you are to study her and live in sensitivity toward what now you have learned about her, because she is very different from a man, as you all probably have realized. And so it... <laughs> yeah, ladies, we love you, but we so don't get you. We, we, really, we, we really don't, and I know you don't get us either, but we don't get you more. Anyway. It says, husbands, Know who she is, study her, what makes her tick, what makes her happy, what makes her sad, what makes her mad and angry. You know, honestly, it is scary counseling people and hearing the wife say, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, and he's doing it over and over and over again. So I'll stop them and I'll say, sir, Do you have a hearing problem? Because I just, I, I need to help you. I just heard her say she hates it when you are so picky about little things. And you just gave three little picky, little picky things. And she just said what drives her crazy is when you pick, 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 and you're doing it. And if you do it in front of me, only the Lord knows, and he does, what you do when you get in the car and when she cooks your meals. And when she serves you at home, study her. Figure her out, what makes her happy, and then live in consideration of that. Now, when I do premarital counseling, we did six marriages. Some of them I premarital, gave them premarital counseling. I usually say, first of all, Do not treat your wife the way you'd like to be treated. Treat her the way a woman would like to be treated. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Listen, if I treated her the way I would like to be treated, there would be a divorce. (laughs) Honestly, it, it would not work. I can't treat her the way a guy thinks i got to stop and consider and do some research and thinking and get some wisdom and understanding about how a woman operates and thinks. So I tell the guy sitting there, listen, you have to understand, number one, they're they're a little bit more emotively centered than we are. (laughs) I'm meaning they're emotional, all right? For example, I'm teaching English at a college, secular college, in the East Bay. I've told you this one before, as it's so funny. And all the students are sitting around, and there's a whole table of girls and a round table. There's a Kleenex box right in the middle, right? And suddenly, in the middle of my lecture about pronouns, nonetheless, <laughs> she bursts into tears. She stands up, and she's sobbing. And all the tissues go and everybody's handing her, and she out she goes, and the door goes open and shut. And everybody's like, whoa. And I say, oh, what's wrong with Jane? And they go, nothing, nothing. One of them's filing her nails. I said, no, 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 Jane, she just exploded in tears. What happened? Did somebody die? Or did she get a text from her boyfriend? Nothing. No, Mr. Reinman." She just needed to cry. (laughs) So I tell the young man sitting there, when we cry, somebody has died. A father or mother or a son has been killed. We cry. They cry. For relief. They cry us a recreational sport. And sure enough, I move on to adjectives and adverbs, and in she comes. I'm feeling much better now. Did you resolve the problem? Oh, yeah, there wasn't a problem. There wasn't a problem. I said, what happened afterwards? She said, nothing. It's a little this, a little that. I didn't know. <laughs> now, to be fair, before all the emails start coming, <laughs> guys are bigger crybabies sometimes. All right. Number two, I, I, so I say, please don't try to fix it. Don't take it personally. Just understand her. She's got a different wiring. She's got different hormones. She's intricately and wonderfully and fearfully made. Let her just do her thing. (laughs) Number two, I say do not try to fix her problems. So When she comes home crying about something and she tells you the problem, do not try to fix it. Because you will hear this. You just don't care. Now here's how it goes. Woman crying and has a problem. Husband comes in. How, honey, how can I fix that? You're crying, oh no, did someone die? No, but there is a problem. Oh, what is the problem? A, A, B, and C. Okay, here's what you do. A, B, C. You don't care. Are you kidding me? If I didn't care, why would I tell you how to fix your problem? (laughs) I didn't think it was gonna turn into a comedy hour. Honestly, (laughs) I seriously did not see this coming. All right, so, you know what she needed after it took me five years to figure this out? I passed it along for free. She needed a hug. That's what she wanted. That's what she wanted. So whenever she's saying, I can't, what? Amen? All the husbands, hug your wife right now. Okay, listen. I say to Johnny, Johnny, she's gonna tell you, I can't believe this happened and he said this to me. You're not gonna say a word, nothing. Unless she says, I don't know how to fix this, tell me how to fix it. But if she's just emoting, you put your arms around her and say, I love you, it's gonna be okay. Now, now, you know what? When I'm hurting or confused or down, I never need to be held. I don't need, I never say, Pastor Nathan, I just need a hug. (laughs) I, I really don't. So honestly, honestly, all right, we need to move on. He says to me, Pastor Ross, Is it, is it very unrealistic of me to think that physical intimacy will happen every night? And I just go, (laughs) are you kidding? (laughs) Listen, I say to him, listen kid, you're wired differently. You're, you're, you're hooked to your eyeballs she's hooked to heart and emotion she needs to feel cherished you need to do the dishes and buy her something sweet and spend time with her that is i'm sorry pg13 that is foreplay for her we don't really necessarily need any of that uh, for th- that to happen moving on <laughs> all right last one if you if you ever And finally, hold on, there's more. I say to Johnny, I say, Johnny, look, if you ever have a feeling, I'm not sure what they are, but if you ever have any kind of feeling whatsoever, share it with her. When you notice, I'm having a feeling right now. You need to call her wherever she is and say honey, I need to open up with you about this feeling that I'm having. She will be so blessed. None of this coming home, Johnny, from work and being tired and having already done your 2,000 words, which men speak a a day, 2,000. Women speak (laughs) 7,000. So none of this, I'm done with my 2,000 words kind of thing. How was your day, honey? And Johnny says, good. (laughs) I said, no, you got to find feeling something. Feel something, man, and talk about it. Look at her and just say it. And he goes, I don't know how to do that. And I said, well, you're going to (laughs) learn. That's important. All right. Well, all of that aside, he's saying, use your brain. Think. You're not married to another guy. You're you're married to a woman. Study her. Know her. What does God see in her? What does God want her to become that you're going to facilitate and help and support and see that happen? Learn, finally, 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 learn patience and gentleness. So here's the reminder, he says, of a common pitfall for men. You have the physical advantage. So generally speaking, God made us a little bit bigger and stronger. Generally speaking, he says, so do not bully them. When, when men are conflicted, men react. You get in a man's face, and we ha- we're equipped. We know what in the face means. It means, OK. I'm taking a stance now, and, and I'm just getting ready to fire back. And I have been trained to do that. I'm a man. I am, I am a fighter. I am, I've got testosterone. For these very moments when, you, when I'm a, 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 what's the word? exasperated, that I want to be physical. I want to raise my voice. I want to just kind of make myself bigger in appearance. And I want to strong arm you back. And he says, don't even think about that. She is fr- fragile in a beautiful sense. You're to think of her as somebody to protect and, and, and cherish, and to be careful of. When to injure her with your roughshod words and your man power, Keep in mind who she is. She's vulnerable. Just bully her. Even when you raise your voice, you don't understand because you're just a guy. How, how is it, what is it like to be married to me, you should say. Everyone in this room should say that question. What is it like to be married to me? And if your first answer was paradise. <laughs> Let me assure you, you're the problem in the marriage. (laughs) So he says, you treat her like that, then try praying. And here's the picture in heaven of God on the throne. Do I hear something? Oh, it's Johnny. Johnny lost his temper, and he's bullying her. What is it you need, Johnny? Uh, I'm not listening. <laughs> God is not listening. He says it hinders your prayers. The word means to slow the progress of. It says you cannot trash people. You cannot be rude to them. You cannot be unnecessarily offensive to people and expect to be heard on high and have him answer your prayers anyhow. If, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you've got an offense out there that you've caused, and you left it that way, and you think, who cares? I'm not going to fix it, and it's within your power to fix that, and they're outside of your home, God says, please don't even leave an offering. I don't receive it. If he doesn't receive an offering it's somebody who's not been made one with you, (laughs) how about when you're treating her like garbage? And then you're praying away and saying, oh, God, I need this, I need that, and please help me with that. And he's like, excuse me, get right this way, and then you'll be right this way. You cannot be off this way and right this way. It doesn't work, not just in marriages, but in life. The way you treat people is a pure indication of your inward connection to God, because people are made in his image. And they are loved. He went to the cross for them. He cares about how you treat them, especially if it's in his name. Well, allow me to close with an illustration of two couples, two ladies that I've known. Let's call them wife A and wife B. Two true stories. Wife A I've known 25 years ago. A long time ago, far, far away, you don't know them. Wife B might be somebody you're sitting next to this morning. Wife A, situation married to a man, quiet. He says he's a Christian, he's reserved. He's not, you know, real outward about his Christian life. She is a gifted singer and teacher. She saw her ministry and church obligations before marriage. She treated her husband like a project. She put God first, and to her that was women's ministry and church, four nights a week. He came home to a dark, empty, cold house with a frozen dinner on the counter and a note and a scripture. She spoke disparagingly about him to others. When he was home, she was condescending and preachy. She compared him to other guys in the church. A nagging wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day, Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen. You need to lead us. You need to get up in the morning and have devotions with us. You need to read the Bible with us at night. You need to pray with me in the morning. You need to pray with me at night. You need to pray with the kids. You need to cast a vision for this family. You need to be more spiritual. You need to be like this guy. Women sometimes look at a husband who's a hard worker, who loves the Lord, who doesn't really demonstrate it very well as less spiritual than them, and they're out in front, and they're doing this thing. And he moved in with his secretary. He committed adultery. He will be judged accordingly. But no one was surprised to hear it. Wife B, married to a skeptic and unbeliever, years and years and years. And I met her. Occasionally, she'd come. And I'd say to her, I have to be careful not to use the name. I'd say to her, nice to see you. Where's your husband? He's not a believer. Pray for him every day. And I only come, first I ask, what do you think about me going to worship service? And he'll say yes, or he'll say, well, why don't we do this? And I always listen to what he's really saying. I listen with my heart, Pastor Ross, and I can tell when he's really said, hey, really, I want you to go. And I come. That's not as often as I'd like. And by the way, she says, I would love to give to that project. She says to me, I can't. I'm not going to tell my husband anything about the finances, because he's my husband, and he's not a believer. And so I respect him. He's said, Pastor Ross, that he's going to come on Christmas and Easter only. And for several years, that's the only time I saw him. She would look at him with radiance. She would talk about him in the most wonderful of terms. Well, yes, he doesn't know the Lord, but let me tell you all his good qualities. She loved him. She loves him to this day. And one day, he gave his heart to the Lord fully. He's totally on board. He couldn't resist that angel. There is no way soft-spoken, gentle, speaks her mind, has opinions, disagrees, but reverently appreciates and comes under. Thanks to this scripture, she loves the scripture. It guided her to impacting her husband fully for the Lord. And can I add? an impeccable home, wonderful cook, loves to make his favorite food. And she's just not a doormat, just a beautiful prize with braids in her hair and bling bling everywhere. (laughs) And she looks nice because it pleases him to look nice. And that was what she was all about, and boom. Is there anybody here who would like to give their heart to the Lord this morning and just lift up your hand, boom, up like that? Why? She didn't preach to him. She didn't nag him. She didn't condescend toward him. She just loved and respected him and honored him and, and lived out Jesus to him in front of him. And that was irresistible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's easier to read than live out. (laughs) And it's fun to laugh about all the differences, just the way we are. Crazy people, but we are your crazy people, God. And we're so thankful to belong to you and to have your word. Now, we ask your blessing as we close the services, singing this song to you, Lord and looking to you for the help we need. In Jesus' name, amen.